Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. I know I say this every week, but it's true. It's a really big show this week, so let's get right at it. Later on, we're going to meet British comedian, actress, and television presenter Lorna Watson. She's here to talk about how a one-off character she did on a show called Father Brown about a decade ago is back with season two of a show built around that very same character on the Sister Boniface Mysteries, which is now available to stream on BritBox. That's a little bit later on. We'll also meet Ari Aster, the writer and director of challenging hit films like Hereditary and Midsommar. Today, we'll talk about his latest movie, Bo is Afraid, a three-hour panic attack of a film starring Joaquin Phoenix as a mild-mannered but paranoia-ridden man who embarks on a surreal odyssey to get home to see his mother. I've seen a lot of movies, and I've never seen anything quite like this one. That's a little bit later on. First, though, let's meet my guest, Martha Hall Kelly. She is the New York Times bestselling author of Lilac Girls, Lost Roses, and Sunflower Sisters, with more than two million copies of her books sold and her books translated into 50 languages. Martha joins me today to talk about her new novel, The Golden Doves. It's the gripping historical story inspired by true events about two former female spies bound together by their past who risk everything to hunt down an infamous Nazi doctor in the aftermath of World War II. Martha Hall Kelly joined me via Zoom from Connecticut. I was reading about you and you say that the moment that you knew that you wanted to become an author was when you walked into the house of a New York socialite named Carolyn Faraday in Bethlehem, Connecticut. What happened as you walked through that door? Wow. I I honestly think, uh, you know, she passed away in the 1990s, but I honestly think I that she like inhabited me somehow. I know it sounds crazy, <laughs> but I just, uh, I, it was just the oddest feeling, especially near her desk up on the second floor of the Bellamy Faraday House and Gardens. Um, you know, today it's a museum, um, but that's where um, she kept all of her most precious things, her uh, medals that she had been awarded in France for helping uh, orphans during the war. And she, her big old Remington typewriter was there that she wrote so many uh, letters on. And uh, I was standing there with the docent, the tour guide, and we were the only people on the tour that day. Uh, now, of course, after Lilac Girls came out, it's just swamped with people. But that day I was the only person there and I got to ask every question, which was perfect. And there was a photograph of about 50 or so women lined up in rows. And I said, who are they? And she said, oh, those are the rabbits. They uh, were the uh, inmates at uh, Ravensbrück concentration camp, Polish women who had been experimented on by the Nazis and the Nazis uh, called them their rabbits, like experimental rabbits. And Caroline, she explained, brought these women to the United States for uh, medical treatment and the trip of a lifetime. And when I heard that, I just thought, how did that story get lost? I didn't think about writing a novel at that point. I just thought, I really want to know more about that woman because she sounded fascinating. So I I started um, just researching her for my own curiosity for the next five years. 
Well, and that one visit seems to me like it planted the seeds for several of your books here, including the new one. So. All of them, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it was crazy. Well, let's talk about how you came across the story then of these female spies who risked life, limb, risked everything uh, to bring Nazi fugitives to justice in the wake of World War II. Everything I've read about them calls them unsung female spies, which means that people don't know as much about them as you would have expected given their um, accomplishments. So how did you come across the story? Well, I read a book about Virginia Hall, no relation, unfortunately. She was amazing. <laughs> she was an American spy, uh, and she operated out of France, and it's called A Woman of No Importance. And I loved that book. It really, it almost read like fiction. Mm. And, but it's the true story of how she had one leg. Uh, she had a wooden leg. And it's the story of how she outwitted the Gestapo at every turn. And I loved it. And I wanted to give my characters in The Golden Doves, my fourth book. Uh, it, it's my first book that isn't about Caroline Faraday. So I have two completely distinct uh, heroines. But I wanted to give my two heroines who were spies in the book, that same uh, story that Virginia Hall had. She was a radio operator and it was fascinating. Very scary because, mm. I mean, the percentage of people that were caught because the Germans were so good at tracking down the radio operators was very, very high. Uh, you know, most of them were taken and shot by the Gestapo. So I just thought, you know, the stakes are really high. And so I gave Josie and Arlette my characters in the Golden Doves, that that is how they operated in the underground. And they are not based on one individual person or individual people, but they are based on a, on a group of people. People like them existed. And, and I, I imagine that the research uh, that you did uh, was crucial in, in terms of creating their characters. So the, the question here, I guess, is, how do you find that blend of fact and fiction? Because you are kind of sort of dealing with people, they still have relatives in the world, probably. There's still, you know, a, a legacy that they've left behind. How do you blend that fact and fiction for your book? Well, when I wrote my first book, Lilac Girls, I had so many things. I'm always collecting little pieces of information mm -hmm. that I find here and there that I find interesting. And I had so many of those kind of left over after Lilac Girls that I knew I wanted to use. Uh, for example, uh, there were a lot of Americans at Robinsburg concentration camp, which mm -hmm. I thought was really, really interesting. Um, and one of them even made her own patch. They, they called it a winkle, the, what the women would wear on their shoulders. She made her own patch that said USA. And I thought, oh, I would love to use You're listening to Martha Hall Kelly girls, on the Richard so, Krause Show. Her new but, novel, The Golden uh, Doves, is available Doves. wherever so you buy fine books. Um, in The Golden Doves that, that are based on fact. But it's all about um, what I find interesting. And if I, I always figure if I'm fascinated by it, um, then uh, other people will be too. And often um, now... Uh, World War II is pretty far in our rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, there aren't that many survivors left or even descendants of um, the, some of the so-called rabbits. Um, and Caroline Faraday was an only child. She has cousins that come up to me sometimes at book events. 
and say, you know, we love your books and thank you for kind of immortalizing Caroline. But um, no one has ever come up to me and said, you know, I, I wish you hadn't done this. They're always just thrilled. Mm. Well, that's, you, you've mentioned uh, Ravensburg concentration camp a, a couple of times here. For people who don't know, uh, because I wasn't familiar with it really, I don't think until the until I read the book, uh, it was the largest concentration camp for women uh, in the German Reich, and it plays a, a part in this story. Um, tell me about painting a picture of that place, because you want to be gritty and real and make sure that it comes off the page. But you also, I think, have to be respectful. And there's a lot that goes into writing about something like that, which is, again, it's it's getting further away every day, but it is part of our recent history. Absolutely. And when I first learned about Robinsburg, and the way that I did so was going to the house, Caroline's house, and, and that was kind of my gateway to the whole yeah. story. I knew for Lilac Girls that I had to go there and uh, see Robinsburg for myself because I I had never been even to Germany and yeah. uh, or Poland. And I, and there in, in Lilac Girls, there are two point of view characters. One is Herta Oberhauser, who it was the only female doctor at Robinsburg and, and participated in the experiments on these young women. And then the other was Kasia Kuzmerich, who uh, was one of the Polish so-called rabbits. So I knew I had to go to Robinsburg myself and see it because I really wanted to do these women justice mm -hmm. and, and make sure that people understood what it was like to be there. Um, and, and, and I wanted to make it terrible. I wanted people to feel um, the the horror of it because I felt that was how um, how best to um, honor these women and to remember that this had happened to them. Because sometimes I'll read a Holocaust book or a book set in World War II and they go to a concentration camp and it's like going to a strip mall or something. And I wanted you to really feel all of my books. I feel like I really want you to be there. And so I took my son on a trip to um, Furstenberg, Germany, which is about 50 miles north of Berlin. And we got off at the same train platform that the women were forced to get off at when they had come all the way from Warsaw in Poland. And oh, I still get chills thinking about it. Both of us were just so moved by the whole experience and um you know you walk through Furstenberg just like the women did of course they were pelted with rocks and and you know the townspeople said you know they were told that these women were criminals um but they were just girl scouts most of them the youngest was 14 um and so they walked along the lake and just like we did and came to Robinsburg today, all the blocks are gone and and the um the gates are down, but a lot of it is still there. And a lot of it's just a very moving place to walk around. The crematoria are there, um, where the gas chamber used to be, the site of it is still there, the administration building, all the wardresses' cottages, meaning the um the prison guards yeah. where they lived and the commandant. So it just going there brought brought the place alive for me and let me write about it and the golden doves it was great because i had that already and i could call on that do you think and i think you just answered it but do you think you would have been able to write about it so vividly had you not uh taken that trip and walked along that lake and done the whole thing 
Absolutely not. I feel like it, that trip changed me. I actually went back again uh, about two years later and a friend of mine is doing a documentary on the rabbits and she brought a film crew and we got to meet mm. two of the rabbits. She interviewed them. So I got to like tag along and talk to them. And that, that was amazing. I got that in on the tail end of Lilac Girl. So I could go back in and kind of add some bits because I got to talk to them about yeah. how they felt about being operated on. We've all heard that the Nazis fled to Chile and to South America uh, after uh, World War II, or many of them did. Uh, but Colonia and Dignidad, am I saying that correctly? Yes. Uh, yes. Is is this colony of, of Germans that was established after World War II uh, by uh, Germans who had gone there to hide from the law. And it became just a, a, a terrible place, an absolutely horror show of a place. Uh, tell uh, the listeners a little bit about this place. I knew about it in very broad terms, but but not, uh, not in any way uh, the way it's presented here. Yeah, Colonia Dignidad, when I first read about it, I thought, how could that even be true? Um, a very charismatic man had an orphanage in Germany at the end of the war with a lot of the, you know, a lot of the children were orphaned uh, because their fathers were lost in the war. And he took them down to South America and started this sect, um, a compound where um, they would take the children away from the mothers um, and raise them in, with Nazi ideology. Mm -hmm. They um, It was like a state within a state almost, yes, right? Yes, yeah. And the government down there was very pro-Nazi, so they let them do whatever they want. And there's a wonderful documentary on Netflix about it. And it, it is in the words of the survivors, the kids that grew up, it's it's an amazing thing. So when I saw that, I thought that was another one of those things that I thought, oh, I, I would love to write about that someday. So that is what I based my my um there's a, a, a camp in the mm -hmm. Golden Gloves down in South America. Uh I can't tell you too much about it because it's a spoiler, but right. I based it loosely on Colonia Dignidad. Did you visit or no? Is there anything to visit? No, I wrote this during, yes, there is, it's all is there still. Yes, it's no longer operating, mm -hmm. but it's all there still, which is very creepy. But I wrote Golden Doves during uh, the COVID lockdown. Right. And that's why I think I added so much international travel because I was <laughs> trying to do that. But then the minute things opened up, I went to Italy and traced the Nazi right. route line. So um, I did get that in before the book was uh, in print. Interesting that uh, during the pandemic, uh, you've said what a lot of people said. I wrote about things that I couldn't do. I wanted desperately to go to a bar and have a beer, and I you couldn't. I was I live in Toronto. We were locked down very tightly for a couple of years, and so I did a, a podcast where I virtually went to famous bars around the world and told you the history of them, and <laughs> and did interviews with the owners of them and the regulars and things. And it's oh my a, god, I love that. That that was my way of of at least feeling like things were almost normal. And that probably scratched the itch, right? A little bit, yeah. yeah. You're listening to Martha Hall Kelly on The Richard Krause Show. Her new novel, The Golden Doves, is available wherever you buy fine books. So how do you find a way to provide new insights 
uh, into both World War II and the impact that the world that the war had on the world. When so much has been written about it, it feels like so many of the stories are told. Although new ones keep, like this one, keep you know coming up and 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 being told. But how do you find new ways to find insight into something that has been so well studied? That's such a great question. I I think it all comes from the characters and for me anyway, Mm -hmm. I always find that if I create an interesting character, a fascinating character, I think no matter where you put them, it's, it's going to be a great story. And I feel like there are endless stories still from World War II. I'm always finding every day Mm-hmm. new things like Colonia Dignidad. I mean, people had no idea that was even happening. Like Yosef Mengele, what happened to him really? I mean, I find it all so endlessly fascinating. My my next thing I'm writing about is Martha's Vineyard during World War II. Um, my family came to Martha's Vineyard in the 1800s, and I wanted to show um, what Martha's Vineyard was really like. You know, it's not just rich people, rich summer <laughs> people. But um, and what happened during World War II? And that's a really unique story that there were U-boats sailing around uh, uh, the waters of Martha's mm-hmm. Vineyard, and you know, some Germans came on shore. And how did that? How did people deal with that? So, I think um, I always try to just really make sure it's a fresh perspective and something that is just a little bit shocking. And uh, I, I think that keeps it fresh. I, I've read a list here of things that uh, you say uh, would be your advice to aspiring writers. And one of them just struck such a chord with me, um, empathy. And you want to make your readers care and you need to be a caring person and able to do that because readers can tell. You're clearly passionate about these stories. But what I love uh, about these stories and, and telling these stories about uh, World War II and the atrocities and things that happened and the people that fought back against them is that you are building in that book a little machine for empathy. When you read that story, you cannot help but open your mind a little bit, I think, and understand the hardships that went into fighting against the evil uh, and uh, perhaps, you know, uh, feeling uh, differently when you see old bits of footage that you go, oh, this is just old black and white footage. It has no connection to my life. Absolutely. I think that is the whole, my whole job is mm-hmm. breathing new life into that. And it's all about conflict as well. Um Empathy, absolutely. And if you don't have conflict in your story, it's really, really hard to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so World War II is the perfect, uh, I mean, it's just the perfect conflict. Uh, it it never grows old, really. Uh, the whole um, national socialism and uh, the evil of that. Um, I was just looking I was writing a blog post about the BDM, which is the female um, wing of the uh, Hitler youth and how they actually use them in combat. And a lot of people think they were just, you know, like collecting clothes and money, but no, they were really, and Himmler's involvement in that. And I just thought that is just pure evil to take these young women and use them um, in, in, in his twisted war so um anyway not to go on and on about Himmler but I feel like uh 
it it doesn't get any more heinous than that. And uh, it it really helps build empathy in the story to have that to fight against. Martha, thank you so much. What a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. That was Martha Hall Kelly on The Richard Krause Show. Find her book, The Golden Doves, wherever you buy fine books. I want you to meet Ari Aster, the writer and director of challenging hit movies like Hereditary and Midsommar. His new film is called Bo is Afraid. It stars Joaquin Phoenix as a mild-mannered man who is paranoid, he is delusional, he's having a rough time while he embarks on this surreal journey to get home to see his mother, played by the great Patti Lapone. I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. I've seen a lot of movies, but I've never seen anything quite like this one. There's a lot to unpack here, so let's get right at it with Ari Aster, director of Bo is Afraid, who joined me via Zoom. I'm visiting my mother tomorrow. Do you ever wish that she was dead? What? I am so sorry for what your daddy passed down to you. I wanted a child. You say that Bo is Afraid is about an unlived life. And I think that it might have some more power following the pandemic when so many of us were in lockdown. We got a little bit more introspective, I guess, regarding what we expected from life. Do you think that the film will read differently for people post-pandemic than it may have beforehand? Yeah, I'm sure it might. Uh, I I wrote the first draft of this film uh, about 10 years ago, and I returned to it uh, during lockdown and, and sort of swam around in it for a long time, and mm-hmm. it kind of I kind of cut things away and and put new things in and it grew for me then. And so I'm sure that I was influenced by that as well. And how do you maintain enthusiasm? Well, you know, I I, I wrote the first draft about 10 years ago, but mm. I, I, I've been, you know, kind of it, it. I haven't been working on it consistently for 10 years, but the, the world of Bo has been kind of um on my mind since writing it and it's been it's been a film i've wanted to make um if only to realize that world um Mm -hmm. and uh and so yeah so it just sort of functioned for a long time as this receptacle for ideas that made me laugh for uh questions that were kind of nagging at me um and uh and again, just the world, which was, you know, which sort of functions as this uh, uh, kind of like evil comic funhouse mirror of the world uh, that we live in. But just, you know, where it, the world is just as awful. Well, the world is awful in all the ways that our world is awful, but with the dial turned up. To me, so it, it felt real, only bigger. And I, I thought about that when I also read this quote from you, where you said that no ideas were too crazy, too stupid, or too strange to be considered. And I kind of loved that in the sense that I wondered it whether it was a function of the kind of movie that you were making, or is it your ability to kind of just look at the absurdity of, of life and, and incorporate that into the art? I would say that it's especially a a function of 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 this film and 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 uh and and just sort of 
the liberties the liberties that it it afforded me but mm-hmm. uh, but i i i i do just like to work in in and with extremes um and uh it's funny because the films i i respond to the most as a viewer tend to be very quiet um yeah like meditative i it, it, but but somehow i i'm 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 never really able to work in that register i'm, I'm always I, yeah you're listening to director ari astor on the richard kraus show his film Bo is afraid starring joaquin phoenix is in theaters now Bo is a character who doesn't really make things happen from my perception of him anyway as much as things happen to him so he's kind of a passive character it's true that he's passive and that he's um and that the movie is kind of uh, it, it's it's about a person uh to whom things you know kind of continually <laughs> insistently yeah happen um but the uh, i i wanted the film to function in a way where you're the the viewer is kind of put in his system right and so you hopefully you're feeling something like what he's feeling um and it, it and hopefully it's in a way that goes even beyond like emotions or like you know it's it's not like you're in his head it's more like like you're in his nervous system and, and that was that was the hope. Um, and then Joaquin is just such a vulnerable, open actor. Um, and I think what he does here is pretty astonishing. I know that I was amazed on set watching, just watching him and seeing uh, just how, uh, just how much of himself physically and, and like spiritually he was like putting into this um and so you know i all i can say is that i i relate to Bo. like i i feel very close to that character and uh i think if the film that is very much about passivity and it's very much about uh like you said an unlived life like sitting outside of your life um and and it I think he's wrestling with that and the film is wrestling with what that means and what the alternative might be. Joaquin Phoenix plays Bo in the film. Uh, and he made a movie a number of years ago called I'm Still Here, uh, which was a documentary about his it was his transition, I guess, from the acting world to the career as an aspiring rapper. A lot of people thought that it was a bit of performance art from him, but you saw something else in there. Well, I saw that film in theaters, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> in a mostly empty theater, <laughs> uh, and I, I, I was dying laughing. It was, I, I think, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, and I was really struck by Joaquin's performance. You know, like the the character is 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 named Joaquin Phoenix, but it it it, it is very much a, a performance, and it's a brilliant comic performance. But what I was really struck by um, was what Joaquin was doing with his own name and how uh, not only courageous, I'd even say. Kind kind of heroic what he was doing with his own name, but it was suicidal 
in a way that was one really fascinating to me, but but also it it, it struck me as like a, a genuinely artistic gesture. Like it, it really felt like a conflagration in a way that like was bracing and and kind of disturbing and uh it just felt like the work of somebody who um was really really wrestling with what with himself but also his craft and when you're an actor it's not just you know yes there it, it goes beyond questions of craft because it's also about just being a public figure and what that means and i just found that film to be it, endlessly endlessly fascinating and uh and 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 and, and thrilling um, and so so si ever since watching that i've really wanted to work with him i mean i've wanted to work with him since i first saw to die for and and i i, I and he has so many amazing performances like what he does and i mean um, the master is just amazing but i um and what he's been doing with with James Gray for a long time, especially in Two Lovers and The Immigrant. But I, 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 uh, yeah, I I've wanted to work with him for so long, and my feeling was that he was one of the best actors in the world before I worked with him. And now, ha having worked with him, I can say that I I now think he's better than I thought he was. He's he's I I, I was so uh, so impressed. By him. That was Ari Aster on The Richard Krauss Show. His film, Bo is Afraid, is in theaters right now. As promised, I'm going to introduce you to Lorna Watson. She's a British comedian, actress, and television presenter. You probably know her from shows like The IT Squad, uh, perhaps a show called Father Brown. Now, that show has been on for 11 seasons. So, about a decade ago, in the first season, she played a character named Sister Boniface in one episode. Cut to a decade later, the character comes back. She's back in the habit, so to speak, uh, playing a murder mystery solving nun on her own series called the Sister Boniface Mysteries, which is now entering its second season on BritBox. It's a lighthearted murder mystery series about a Vespa driving nun who solves crimes. Like, think Murder, She Wrote, only instead of a murder mystery solving writer, you have a murder mystery solving nun. And you get the idea. She has an aptitude for detective work, and she lives in a place called Great Slaughter. So, of course, there's lots of murders to be solved here. It's a lighthearted, funny show that has some pretty good mysteries at the heart of it. Let's get to know Lorna Watson, who joined me via Zoom from England. Sister Boniface is doing what any good sister would do with her talents, helping people. What have you got? It was murder. Father Brown is now, is now filming season 11. Um, so yes, a long, long time ago, I certainly wasn't expecting to get the phone call that I got from my agent saying, do you remember 10 years ago playing that part in Father Brown well they're you know they're giving you your your own series I mean I li I just didn't believe it I literally did not believe it. I said stop it I don't believe it she said no no and they the the Jude um uh, the creator Jude um our execs uh, they they took me out for lunch and they said no no it is actually <laughs> it's actually happening this this never happens Richard this never happens but it happened to me and I'm very grateful that it did. 
Well, it's just, I guess, the vagaries of a life, you know, in show business, you really never know what's around the next corner. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what's really lovely about it. A lot of my, a lot of my active friends have said it's given them hope, Richard. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You just never know. And I kind of love, that's what I love about this industry. You never know. Yes. So tell me about playing Sister Boniface. I understand that you find wearing the habit really puts you in the character. It helps you a great deal. Yeah. Have you ever worn a habit? I tell you. They're... I, I have not. <laughs> uh, they're very, yes, they're very transformative. Um, it, it's, I don't know, there's there's a lot going on there. It, it certainly infected, it affects the way you move. It affects the way you turn your head. It affects the way you feel and it also it, it affects how you communicate because just having your your face on show like that is very limiting actually and it just makes you think about things a little bit more I think it's you suddenly become more aware or certainly I did of, of suddenly what I was doing with my hands mm. we all we all collectively all the nuns when we were doing our sort of first day of filming together it was quite interesting we were all talking about the little um, sort of habits that we'd formed with our hands in scenes and how we were trying to tell each other apart with our hands you know it's quite interesting um, and yeah um, it, it just is what well, in fact I, I love those scenes with 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 my sort of fellow nuns um, there's a there's a sort of collective uniformity between us when we've all got the habits on and a lot of the cast members have, have said as well how calming it is to you know, just hang out, hang out with nuns all day. <laughs> it's quite, um, it's, it's really interesting. We have a very, yeah, we have a very chilled out set. I don't know if it's because of the habits, but I, I feel like it might be. You're listening to Lorna Watson on the Richard Krauss Show. Her series, Sister Boniface Mysteries, is streaming now on BritBox. When you say that there's a uniformity among them, is it because of these habits that sort of push you into having to behave a certain way just physically? Uh, while you're wearing the costume? I think there is a little bit of that, but I think it's just the fact that we are all very individual, but we do look the same. Mm. Um, it's sort of, I don't know, it, it, it just does make you feel more united and um, part, of a, part, of a, part of something, part of mm -hmm. something. And um, you know, but at the same time, it sets me apart. You know, I'm often the only nun on screen, and then it, it's it's what sets me apart from everybody else. But I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think it's, uh, you know, actually visually quite interesting. Suspect everyone, trust no one. You haven't got a shred of proof. I think we have our motive for murder. Have a go. Well, let's talk about Sister Boniface. She is someone who is brilliant. She's very smart, uh, but there's kind of an innocence to her as well, which I think really uh, helps the the character kind of come to life. Mm. And I think also, you know, not always the most aware person in the room in certain <laughs> situations, which is also rather lovely in terms of finding the comedy in a scene. I, um, you know, I, it, it's, you know, in one ways, she can scan a room and understand it better than anyone. But 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 in others, things will go over her head. But I like that. I like that. There's, I don't know. It just it sets her apart again. And I and I do. I love her, her innocence, and I love her 
childlike sort of approach to to life. Um, she's she's like an an excitable puppy sometimes, um, <laughs> and um, the, and and also I think it's what makes her relationship with Sam so lovely. He's very protective of her, you know, and I think they have a very wonderful but unexpected friendship and um it's you know in one ways she's his superior in that she she has this forensic brain which is just extraordinary um, and he needs her he needs her to help him solve crimes and in another sense he has the the, the brawn and the chutzpah and the you know to to keep her safe in sometimes in situations where she might be at risk well, I've seen it described before, that relationship as being kind of like Dr. Spock and Captain Kirk. <laughs> well, I guess it's Mr. Spock, Mr. Spock and Captain Kirk. Yeah, that's really lovely. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it is exactly that. It's, it's unexpected, but it works. And mm -hmm. I love the way they bounce off each other and they have this shorthand with each other that is, again, playful. It's almost sibling-like at times, you know little bickering moments and but then she really has his back and he has hers and they just have this this lovely shorthand which she doesn't have with anyone else your character rides a vespa i understand that yeah. you had really never been on one before that is true and i yes and sh it was a very feisty bike um mm. i i accidentally did a wheelie on it one day um <laughs> And Norman, the guy who was looking after the bike, said he didn't know that was possible with a sidecar attached. <laughs> Turns out it was. Um, I've, I've, I've actually got a bit more confident on it. Um, this, this series, I, I did a bit more riding, and I, and I went a bit faster, Richard. Which really? uh, I, I went into third gear. I'm not going to brag, but uh, I did. I hit third gear this time, and uh, yeah, the veil was flapping and. It was lovely. I'm, I'm definitely getting more confident, but it's, it's, it is a feisty bike. That was Lorna Watson. See her on Sister Boniface Mysteries on BritBox. A big thanks to Lorna. A big thanks to Ari Aster. His film Bo is Afraid is in theaters right now. And a big thanks to Martha Hall Kelly. Find her book, The Golden Doves, wherever you buy fine books. Of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay happy, stay safe, stay weird. And we'll talk to you again soon.